Well, I'm excited about today's passage because it's a great way to wrap up our last message of, of the year in the book of Mark. Next week's going to be more of a Christmas uh, a special. But it's a great way to wrap up what we've been looking at over the last few weeks because Jesus is kind of bringing home a lesson that he's been teaching the disciples uh, going back to Mark 3. And he really brings it home in a special way. Back in Mark 3, if you remember that far back, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jesus called his disciples that they might be with him and that he might send them out. So he's going to train them up, get them ready to take over the ministry that he has established. And immediately in Mark 4, the first lesson he passes on to these disciples is the kingdom of God is like a seed. You guys will remember this. And we talked about how faith has to grow through adversity. Well, to bring that point home, they were out on the lake that night going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And the storm rises up, winds, waves are coming over into the boat. The disciples think they're going to die. And Jesus gets up and it says he calms the sea. And Jesus is really showing them, showing us through them, that we can have faith through the adversity of life's storms. We can trust him. He's Lord over creation. And then last week, what we looked at in the first part of Mark 5 was at the end of their trip to the other side of the lake, they got out and there was this guy who was uh, possessed by demons, if you remember that. Legion, for we are many, the demon said. And we talked about how after Jesus healed that man, really miraculously, in some ways, in my opinion, it, might, it seems more miraculous than even the calming of the storm, we can see that we can trust Jesus in the adversity of, in the spiritual realm. The things that we can't quite put our finger on are more of the internal or spiritual nature. He's Lord over that. We can trust him. We can have faith in adversity. What I love about the text today, you know, finishing Mark 5 and really wrapping up what we've been looking at over this last little bit, is Jesus kind of takes these abstract concepts of his power available to us, and it brings it a lot more into the regular, everyday life. I mean, there's still some tragedies here. There's still some big events in, in, in the people's lives that we see here. But it goes from calming of the ocean, you know, healing of the demoniac, to real people. And so how I want us to be thinking about this as we look at these two case studies of this, this woman and this man named Jairus, is thinking about, are there storms in your life that you're facing? There's uncertainty in your life? Or is there something in the, in the spiritual realm? Maybe it's something you can't quite put your finger on, but something's off, or, or you can put your finger on it, and it's, just, there, you gotta, it's got a hold on you. Are you looking for deliverance, for guidance, for healing? What we see in this text is Jesus Jesus' power coming to bear in, in real lives. Okay, so what we're going to do uh, specifically, we're going to break this down in three ways. And look at who Jesus came for, uh, when Jesus answers and meets those needs, and uh, how Jesus answers and, and meets those needs. So who he came for, when Jesus answers, and how he answers. So first, let's look at uh, who Jesus came for. This text shows us that Jesus came for the desperate. Okay, if this woman and, and Jairus, this man, embody anything, they embody desperation. And by the way, when I say he came for the desperate, it doesn't mean you have to be desperate in order for him to show up. It's more to say that when you're desperate and you think, where is he? Is there any help? This feels hopeless. He's there. He's thinking about you. He wants, he wants to come to your aid. So we see this in these two people. First, we see this woman who's been suffering from this hemorrhaging disease. Uh, look at this verse, and uh, verse 26 says, A woman had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. For those of you guys who know my story, you'll probably believe fully what I'm getting ready to say. I was studying this passage this week, 
and I have this condition, uh, this, this injury that I'm recovering from. I read this verse. She, she tried to, all these doctors spent all she had, and there's this audible groan that came out of me. Like, oh, uh, because I, I've had this injury from a, sport, a sports uh, accident a while back, and I've just been trying everything to try to get healing. Um, Thank, thank God for, you know, insurance. I haven't had to spend all that I have, that kind of deal. But, I've, you know, surgery, that didn't go well. It was unsuccessful. I went to get second opinions, multiple. Is that a third opinion, second opinion? Anyways, I've seen so many physical therapists. I lost track. I've seen so many specialist doctors for different body parts that have overcompensating, you know, pains from, from the original injury. I've changed my diet, which if you know me, that means I'm desperate. This whole 30 diet, which is good for the most part, but it basically means you can't eat for 30, 30 days, and that's essentially what it is. I was desperate in that way. And then there were the needles. I like to think of myself as a guy who can handle, like, I, I, you know, I have a high tolerance of pain, but I am a baby when it comes to needles. I went, Cindy's like, you got to do acupuncture. I'm like, what's that? No, I don't want to do that. You know, they just like, prick you all over the place, and they do it in the bottom of your feet based on my injury. The bottom of, okay, I'm getting, sorry, I don't want to keep going details there. Um, and uh, I, so I'm such a baby, so I'm sitting in there, and the guy literally has to give me a pillow to hold. And one of these times, he actually calls his assistant in, and he doesn't say it, but I'm pretty sure she's there to make sure I don't kick the guy. I'm not making this up. I really think that that's what happened. But anyway, so I did the acupuncture. I did that for a number of weeks. It helped a little bit. didn't really help, so I stopped doing that. And then I had most recently a friend who uh, saw in a prayer letter of ours that we're just at, I'm just asking for, for prayer for this, uh, say, hey, I want to come out. She cashed in her rewards points for an airline, came out on her own dime, and she said, I want to give you, she's a physical therapist, I want to give you a new regimen, new stretching, all that sort of thing. And hey, let's try dry needling. I said, hey, let's not do dry needling. She said, don't worry, it's not as bad as acupuncture, and we won't stick the bottom of your foot. After doing it, A, it is as bad as acupuncture, and B, she did stick me in the bottom of the foot, and she like had electro, okay, so, okay, thank you for this cathartic session. Um, I read this, I read this passage, and it says she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, she's not modern medicine, had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. She was desperate. And in, in a way that I'm kind of having fun with this, she really, physically, she was in a scary place. I mean, even today, this sort of bleeding disease, let alone back then without modern care, uh, it could have taken her life. Physically, but then socially, spiritually, there would have been a stigma, an alienation there. Socially, she would have been thought of as unclean in that society, meaning if other people came around her, touched her, they were then unclean. So people kept their distance. People probably said snooty things, you can imagine. And then spiritually, it was widely accepted back then that if you suffered from any sort of thing, let alone something very bad, everybody thought, oh, it's because you did something wrong and God's after you. It would have been so widely accepted that not only would have other people been thinking this, probably reminding her of this, she didn't, she wouldn't have needed them to have said that. She would have herself internally been, and you'd probably, I mean, how would that have been for her? I, I can't imagine it being anything other than, oh, yeah, it's because I did that and that. God's after me. So she's desperate physically, socially, spiritually. And then there's this guy, Jairus, who's, who's just incredibly desperate. Verses 22 and 23, one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Jesus, uh, seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, my daughter is dying. Now, dying. Now, 
the obvious low-hanging fruit here is he's desperate because his daughter is dying. I mean, I can't think of anything that would make you more desperate than sitting helplessly on the side while watching someone closest to you suffer like that. We've talked about that uh, in the past. But he's also desperate. We see the, the, the level of desperation in him in that he's a synagogue ruler. It's interesting that Mark points that out. He's a synagogue ruler, which meant he would have been appointed by elders. He would have been like a lay pastor, if you will, looking over a local synagogue and arranging uh, worship for them. He wouldn't have been on the inner circles of the religious establishment, but he would have been in that sphere of things. And we already know by Mark 3 that the religious establishment, especially the Pharisees, were already plotting to kill Jesus because they didn't like him. They didn't like what Jesus was saying. They didn't like his teachings. So Jairus was sticking his neck out big time among the people he hung out with to go and see Jesus. And he doesn't just go and see Jesus. He doesn't do it on the stealth. He falls down at his feet. It says, pleading earnestly, would you help my daughter? So these guys are desperate. Uh, Jesus And Jesus was there for them. Are you desperate in any way? Is there a life storm that you're facing where it's just uncertain how things are going to work out? You know, in relationships, family dynamics, I don't know. In your career, I know there's a number of people here where you've told me that it's, you've, you've, some of you, you've had decisions you've had to intentionally make that have put you in a place where, oh my goodness, how is this going to work out? How's it going to work out for our family? How's this going to work out for my career longer term? And then I also know there's a number of you here who have had decisions made for you that you're also in the same place. God, how's this going to work out? Uh, You know, where where are you at in this? And here's the thing to me about storms. We saw this in Mark 4 with the calming of the sea. We see this especially in the woman's life. It's so easy to get overwhelmed and consumed by the waves, the winds. It's so easy for the gray clouds to come in and not see what else is there not see that there's actually sunlight still there, that Jesus is in the boat in chapter 4, and today that he's there with them, able to help them. We can get so focused on, God, where are you? Are you even there? Help me. Or is there, you know, in terms of life storms or the spiritual darkness that we've been talking about, is there there an inkling of something off there internally? Again, maybe you can put your finger out, maybe you can't, maybe a temptation you've fallen into, maybe a pattern of life. Maybe there's guilt wrapped up in, oh, I've done that, so therefore this, which may or actually may, may not be true, but it, it has a grip on you. Uh, Jesus is there for the desperate. When the storm is overwhelming and all-consuming, or when you can't put your finger on the, in the spiritual realm, he's there. But here's what this text shows us. Is, is he does come for the, the desperate, but his help comes in, uh, in ways that we would perhaps not script ourselves. Okay, and now, now we see the timing of what Jesus does that, that is captured really powerfully in this text. Uh, for, for the woman, she had been suffering, uh, verse 25 says, for 12 years. What were you doing in 2004? Right, you probably have to think about it. I was so young and free, 2004. I mean, seriously, 12 years. And it's not just the time of 12 years, the duration of it. Those were 12 intense years, as we've already talked about, of suffering and of trying to figure this whole thing out. 12 years. And then for this man, uh, Jairus, his daughter is clearly on his deathbed. And check out what happens. I mean, isn't this amazing how the story plays out? He goes up to Jesus and says, hey, my daughter is dying. Can you come help? Jesus says yes. They start to walk there. You got to figure Jairus is thinking, oh, good. There's some 
sliver of hope here. They're walking there, and what does Jesus do on the way? Stops in his tracks to help this woman. Put yourself in Jairus' shoes. I can't think of anything that would make my blood pressure go up quicker than that. Right? I mean, Jesus, I I know this lady needs help, but are you sure you can't wait a little bit? My, My daughter's, you heard me, she's dying. She's dying? She's dying. And yet Jesus doesn't only stop. It seems like he's just taking his time about it. He's not in a rush. This woman comes up to him, gets through the crowd like a ninja, touches his, just thinking, if I could touch his clothes, then I'll be healed. She does that. She's healed. That could have been all there was, but then there's this really cryptic verse. Verse 30 says, and at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And instead of going along with the flow, like, okay, let's, you know, Jairus, this whole thing, Jesus stops. Who touched me? And the disciples there, I mean, probably thinking for everybody else, which they constantly are doing, I love the disciples, they make the obvious observation that, hey, Jesus, there's a huge crowd here. How are we going to figure out who touched your clothes? That's it finding a needle in a haystack. But they're also probably, probably being sympathetic for Jairus. Don't you think? And saying, this girl's dying, you remember? Let's get moving. But Jesus stops and focuses his attention completely on this woman. This woman just wanted an in and out healing, but he says, who touched me? He keeps looking around. She realizes she's not going to get out of it. And so she comes before him with fear and trembling, it says. Verse 33 tells the whole truth, meaning she had some explaining to do. You know, she had a story to share. All the while, time is ticking off the clock, and Jesus is not worried about it. Verse 34 concludes his time with with this woman. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your, sur- your suffering. And then what is the next verse? It's not surprising at all. Verse 35 says, While Jesus was still speaking, some man came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead. They said, Why bother the teacher anymore? Of course. I mean, Jesus, she's on her deathbed. Why are you? And she's passed away. Jesus' timing is not necessarily our timing. We see this in a couple of respects. In terms of the woman, 12 years. In terms of the desperation of Jairus, it was in the moment. But Jesus had different timing, different thoughts. You know, this idea of, of, of 12 years, part of me wishes I could say that, you know, these guys are a bit of an outlier in terms of the scriptures, in terms of even human experience of waiting on God or you know, are you even there? Those sorts of things. But they're not outliers. It's quite common in the scriptures. For example, Moses, you know, the one who delivered the people from Egypt, did all that Red Sea parting. That I think a lot of us might not know that for 40 years he spent out in the desert after fleeing from Egypt before he ever even went back to help them out of there. 40 years. He's just hanging out in the desert. And then there's Jacob. Jacob basically spends 14 years out after he fled, he fled from his brother who's trying to kill him, 14 years basically being tricked by what will, would then be his father-in-law. 14 years. Some of us are like 14 days with our in-laws. No, we're all, no. 
14 years of being tricked by this guy. Joseph, he would rise up to free, you know, uh, help in the famine with, with Egypt and with the, the people of Israel. But before that, he spent years, we could tell, about 12 years as a slave and then in jail before any of that happened. 12 years a slave, 12 years in jail. Um, and over and I could share more examples here. Now, some of us may be thinking, maybe you're thinking, if this is how my mind thought. So, David, are you telling me what I'm facing right now? I got another 12 years to go. Like, I, no, hopefully, hopefully not. But I think this is just such helpful perspective. Is it not? It is for me because you know how my, you know what my ammo, my mode of operation for my faith often is revealed to me in times like these is that it's impulsive. God, I want this. And by the way, now. Why isn't this working? Where are you? It's been you know, two days, two weeks, two years. But Jesus doesn't say in Mark 4, God's kingdom is like a rocket ship. He said in Mark 4, the kingdom of God is like a seed. I wonder if, if you have a similar approach as I do, whether, by the way, you're a Christ follower or not, just, you know, in your spiritual walk uh, in terms of seeking, finding God. Uh, a, a while ago, I was talking to a buddy of mine, and I was in the midst of a season that was really, really hard in my life, and I'd been in it for a while. And I was talking to this buddy of mine, and I knew he had been through some seasons of hardship in his past, so it was kind of helpful talking to him. So I just kind of opened up and just sharing, this is how it's hard. I was just, just transparent about it. And he came back to me, and he said, David, I want to share with you uh, something a mentor of mine shared with me, and I, and I feel like it's just, it's very appropriate, you know, ap- applicable to your situation. He, he said, it's a verse and it's a thought. He, he quoted Psalm 30, uh, verse 5. I looked it up. He says, though weeping may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. And then he said, David, you've been in the night. There's a lot of weeping that's happening for you. It's going to get worse before it gets better, but joy is coming in the morning. And I'm sitting there listening, like, wait, 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 wait. Uh, you know, buddy, you heard that I've been in this for a while, right? We, we, we covered that. This is how my mind's interpreting this. And he's just, it's going to get worse, but joy does come in the morning. Uh, some of you are hanging on. You know, there's, you're just in a place where it's, it's really hard. Man, I, I, I get it. I know. But hang on. Keep hanging on. Though weeping lasts the night, joy does come in the morning. Now, why can we do this? Uh, it's because of how Jesus answers. Uh, and that is really just in ways that we would not script ourselves. He just he has a different thing that he's doing. He has, he has different things in mind, and they are always, by the way, better. Um, again, we see this in both individuals. With Jairus, you know what really stinks for Jairus? I mean, seriously, no matter how you slice this, hey, this is a nice sermon, whatever thought, Jairus' daughter dies. That detail happened. You know, we just had a recent death in our family. Death is awful. It's horrible. Did that happen? have to happen, Jesus? But there's this amazing thought that comes right after verse 35, which it says, don't bother the teacher anymore, she's dead. In this critical moment, Jesus steps up decisively and powerfully. My version says, ignoring what they said, I love that, Jesus, ignoring what they said, Jesus told the, the, the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. You've been hanging on, hang on is what Jesus is saying. And then we see it in this woman. All she wanted was the ninja healing. 
She wanted to get in. She wanted to get out. But Jesus would have none of that. He digs his feet in. And who touched me? And what he wanted to do was something far greater than she realized that she herself was looking for. He says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. I feel like that verse just captures the heart of this text. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. She had been suffering physically, yes. He healed her, but Jesus wasn't done with her because she had also been, remember, suffering socially, spiritually. She didn't want to go in front of everybody. She was fearful and trembling. She didn't want to be exposed to the crowd. She didn't want to be exposed to Jesus. This is scary. But Jesus wanted to say to her and to this crowd, she's healed. But more than that, he wanted her help, help her understand spiritually that she's accepted and loved. Think about this. Going back, being exposed before Jesus. This holy man, this teacher, she doesn't want to be exposed by that. He's going to reprimand me. He knows I'm sinful. He knows this or that. And it actually kind of looks like Jesus is heading in that direction. Who touched me? Power has left me. You know, that kind of deal. And yet what does she find? He says to her, daughter. You've been healed. Daughter. She didn't even know she was looking for what Jesus wanted to give her, and that is a restored relationship with God, her Father. Jesus called her daughter. Uh, here's why I believe this is important for us. Uh, Jesus doesn't, he's, he's uninterested in what I'll call, and maybe this is helpful, maybe this is not, we just, I'm just going for this here. He, he's not interested in an I-it encounter, okay? An I-it encounter is, God, give this to me. I want this. I want it. Give it to me. And that's how often we approach God. And what we've been seeing in Jesus' life over and over again as we've been studying the book of Mark, and what we see real clearly here in this text is Jesus doesn't want an I-it encounter. He doesn't want that to be the relationship. He wants I-you. He wants us to come to him for who he is. Now, does Jesus provide healing in this life, physical, social, all these sorts of things? Yes, he does, and he does it amazingly more than we'd ever think or hope or imagine, but that's not the deal. The, the deal is, and this is really the secret to the gospel, is we get him. He calls us daughter. He calls us son. And I often think, sadly, tragically, hopefully it's not the case for us. It's been for me that the way that my heart really ultimately understands this is going through prolonged hardship or go, going through intensified hardship to know that really at the end of the day, it's not about just the winds and waves clearing up. It's knowing that I know the one who made the winds and the waves and that he's redeeming all of it. If verse 34 captures the heart of this text, daughter, your faith has healed you, Verse 36 captures our application, and that is, don't be afraid, Jesus said, just believe. It might not feel like he's there. It might not feel like he's showing up. It might feel like it's been taking a lot more time than you would hope or write yourself, but does he care? Yes, he cares, and oh, how he cares. Why can we say that, David? This is a nice inspiration. This is a good moral. No, this all points to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember we talked about that little cryptic verse, verse 30, power has gone out from him. What does that mean? It's nowhere else in the Bible. What's that all about? I mean, we don't understand it fully, but in part we know at least that there was a transfer of power here. It, the healing cost Jesus something. 
It came out, and he said, okay, there's something happened there. Well, we can trust Jesus even in the worst of life's storms because the gospel is on the cross, Jesus emptied himself of all of his power that we might have life. He gave his life that we might have life. Philippians 2 says it that way. He emptied himself. Peter later writes, by his wounds, you have been healed. So we can trust Jesus even in the midst of life's storms. He has done something greater for us than, we, than, than Jairus or this woman felt or understood even in this text. Just a little bit of power went out of him then. But on the cross, he gave everything up for us. And did he do this because we live perfect lives? No, he did this precisely because we do not. He did this precisely because we cannot. But we can trust him because if he's given everything for you, everything for you, he could take care of you through the storm. If the answers might not come in the timing that you would hope, the answers might not come in the way that you would write it, but if he has given everything for you, he is there with you. So whatever you're facing, reach out to the one who calls out to you, daughter, calls out to you, son. Don't be afraid, just believe. Let's pray. Father, life's storms are hard. They are hard. And I'm so, we're so thankful that we follow a God who doesn't just paper over that and say, fall in, put a smile on your face, you know, that's superficial. No, we follow the one who went into the storm head on and gave everything for us. That even the worst of storms is like splashing around in the bathtub in comparison. And that you're in the boat with us. And you have greater purposes available for us. But Father, forgive us when we lose sight of that. When our eyes get caught up on the wind, the waves, or on the internal struggle, and we miss the sun that's behind all of it. Jesus Christ. And Lord, please bless us as we Get ready to celebrate Christmas. Lord, Christmas, of course, is Jesus' light out of the darkness. We celebrate you, Father. This is such wonderful news that we can come to you as Father. We love you. Would you please be with us this week? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at this time, we're going to continue our worship um, through singing. We're also going to uh, pass around the buckets to collect this morning's offering. Uh, If you are new with us, what we'd love for you, all all we want is just if you would be willing to fill this out, uh, we'd love to get your information so we can send you information. Uh, If you'd like to put prayer requests on there, we read these, we pray for you. Um, So please put that on. There's a a number of other things you can let us know or ask us uh, for more information by. And if you have been coming and you, you you, you, you came with the heart to give, Uh, How we see this time really is giving back uh, what God has first given us, uh, not out of obligation, but in worship. So let's, let's continue to sing at this time.